hope is this expectation that it is going to be okay, that something is going to turn in your favour. And I've had to have so much hope in really, as I was saying, my life, but certainly my chocolate business. I kept thinking something's going to come up, the right thing is going to come my way. And then patience is that real leveller. It's a very strong sort of silent word. It's always around us and it's always testing us and challenging us that we just have to wait and that life business has its own flow and sometimes you however much you want to accelerate the flow you just can't welcome to the hospitality maverick podcast with me michael tinkser we at hospitality mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out the kind that both employees and customers love and support thanks to this simply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner Biz Simply is the all-in-one HR and workforce management roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways of becoming even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, how we grow our businesses, and how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. In this week's conversation, we are joined by the amazing Amelia Rope, the founder of the Hope and Patient podcast. Amelia shares her incredible entrepreneurial journey of being part of MasterChef, building a chocolate business, and much, much more. You will find out it's a journey with many twists and turns, and we take a deep dive into how she overcome the many challenges. Amelia also shares about how the journey actually shaped her and made her the person she is today by using pain to grow. We talk about doubt as an entrepreneur, imposter syndrome, and knowing when to leave the situation that is no longer good for you. The power of having the right people around you and achieving great results by having the right coach and mentor. Also along the way, we've been many other things. The entrepreneur's mind, how to navigate uncertainty, why she started a podcast, how she overcame uh, health issues, working with investors, the power of due diligence and the people you get involved with in business and the importance of purpose and profit goes hand in hand and much more. There are so many great nuggets in this episode on how you become a better entrepreneur. But before you tune in, please sign up to our weekly newsletter on hospitalitymavericks.com packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools. Now grab notebook, pen, hot drink, chocolate and let's get started. Today, I uh, think we're going to go on what I would call the entrepreneur's journey. And uh, for that, we have a great guest because uh, this is not a, a typical guest on the hospitality show. As it happens once in a while, I uh, bring somebody in that just has a different ex- perspective on things. And uh, I've been uh, seeing Amelia Rope's uh, podcast coming along slowly and listening to some of her episodes especially the one with julian metcalf was the first one i tuned into and then uh perry hayden afterwards talking about brand and uh i found out that uh here here's a person that you guys need to meet because she's been on a journey as an entrepreneur and there's so much you can learn for that especially in the world we live now with all this uncertainty and how you actually manage that and this is an incredible journey i can tell you because I've read a lot about Amelia before this conversation, but also I have listened into uh, her conversation and I had a great conversation with her prior to this. So with that said, I will jump into 
present you to Emilia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Michael. Emilia, you've been on a quite a journey, but I wanted to start somewhere else instead. Tell me the journey. Because the, one of the things I noticed when I started following you and listening to you, there's, there's two words that goes again and again, and you called your podcast the same. So what is it with you and uh, hope and patience? Well, hope and patience are two words that I've had to cling on to for really the majority of my life. And um, funnily enough, my grandmother's, one was called hope and the other one was called patience. And uh, they were incredible women, very different, but they were so strong. They had this inner core, this inner strength that I think I've got a bit of in, in my bloodstream. But so they are just incredible qualities. And if you think about it, hope is this expectation that it is going to be okay, that something is going to turn in your favor. And I've had to have so much hope in really, as I was saying, my life, but certainly my chocolate business, I kept thinking something's going to come up, the right thing is going to come my way. And then patience is that real leveler. It's a very strong sort of silent word. It's always around us and it's always testing us and challenging us that we just have to wait and that life business has its own flow. And sometimes you, however much you want to accelerate the flow, you just can't. Yeah, and especially in times we're living in now, we had a little conversation uh, before we went uh, live here about, you know, you, you're, you're sitting in this, uh, you're waiting position. And as an entrepreneur, that's almost the worst place to be in, to be actually embracing patient. And, and my word this year is patient, because I just know there's so much that's out of my control. And if I'm trying too hard uh, and be frustrated about it, I, I just gonna gonna struggle more. Yeah, I mean, isn't that so true? It's it as we were chatting about, it's that whole thing where as an entrepreneur, you want to be on the move. Physically, you want to be on the move. I'm energized by running around to meetings, meeting people, that whole buzz. And now we're all having to really draw on the resilience that we've built up, which is digging deep and thinking, okay, I don't have that external stimuli. You've got to make it yourself. And it is it is really challenging. And yeah, patience. I'm constantly being taught that lesson and it's my middle name and I just hope one day I will crack it. <laughs> Although actually, Michael, just thinking about it, it was quite interesting. Angus Thurwell, uh, the CEO of Hotel Chocolat, he was on my show and he was talking about patience and he said that he doesn't think any entrepreneur actually has patience within them. And it really made me think about that because I think he has got a very strong case. I think it's absolutely right. And uh, one of the things I've you know, been through myself is that I love my kids to bits, but having the patience to actually having them around all the time and, and care for them in, in a lockdown situation and be the school teacher, I just found out that it's probably so innate in me. And then I can remember my dad as well, and uh, he's still alive. He's probably become more patient with, with, with age, funny enough, but also an entrepreneur at heart. And uh, I can remember sometimes why he was like irritated if he was on holiday too long. And I, and I was thinking, oh, that's just <laughs> weird. But now I totally understand because I'm the same. In principle, I my I I don't I don't like to be sitting uh, <laughs> at a swimming pool for two weeks. I can't do that. And need, need something needs to happen. It's almost a bit like a what do you call it, ATAD or uh, and uh, yeah. So I totally agree that patient thing is a 
it's a very difficult thing. But it's almost when it's difficult, you should actually, when you have time in, in this time, I'm trying to master it instead and say, I need I need to learn more of that because you need to get people with you on the journey. Don't don't run away from them and they don't come with you on the journey as an entrepreneur. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, talking about that two weeks on a sun lounge, I, I'm always, my mates know that I'm just so weak when it comes to the sun. And I'm just like, oh, I, I'm out in it. But there is that thing where I think it's the entrepreneurial DNA, the mindset. One is constantly, so you, you want to switch off and you think, great, two weeks. But you find yourself after the first couple of days thinking, well, what about this idea? What about that? And I want to implement this. And actually, I'm going to get onto my emails. And it's funny, there's just something, I think it's a wiring process. Yeah, to connect that uh, to your journey, so people get a bit of a perspective uh, where you're coming from. Uh, can you tell people a bit about your journey, where it all started and uh, the incredible things you've been doing um, over the over your lifetime? Well, I'll try to keep it short because I'm a woman who waffles and um, my story is is quite lengthy. But just for a little background was that um, I come from, I'm very lucky. I come from a fantastic family. You know, I was sent to a great school. Um, but the limitation which frustrated me was that women were not meant to work. Women were meant to be a wife, a mother. And whether you signed up for love in your marriage or not, that was not the main point of it. It certainly isn't a criticism of my parents. It's just the way that they were brought up and the way that it was sort of thrown out to me. And ever, even from a young child, I just hated being told what to do. And I always had this sort of independent streak. I also loved making cash. So I would be baking cakes. I would be, I had a pony. I sold the manure at the end of the drive for cash. You know, I mean, I just, I was, con it, it was just a very exciting thing. And we didn't have pocket money as children. We certainly weren't deprived, but you had to earn it. And I'm really glad that my dad got me thinking about that whole thing of the value of money. We worked on potato harvesters, me and my brother. I worked at the local petrol station, you name it, I was there. Anyway, school, bit of a write-off. I was a, a, a good school, but I was there far too long. The teachers hated me. I was very naughty, a bit cheeky, and I'd always be someone who'd be sort of um, fighting someone else's cause and and therefore getting in trouble. And um, anyway, from that, I was in my 20s. I was a, a PA, secretary, worked for people, a whole mix of businesses in the city, in the West End, what you name it. And I used to get fed up actually by the by the end of the year because lack of appreciation from all the hard work and also I was, I was using a sort of learning process I really would have loved to have gone to university and got a sort of what I call a qualification or potentially I might have gone into the health world become a consultant or a lawyer if I had trained in a profession but the thing with with the whole thing going back to my childhood was that Education was not key because I was going to be marrying the stockbroker in my 20s, children, and that was that. So um, from the from my 20s, I then um, sort of branched out and I, um, I got into health. I was quite overweight and I couldn't lose it. And I became fascinated by health and I, I wanted to go to university. So I went to university as a mature student and studied herbal medicine and then switched into nutrition. Actually, it was the other way around, nutrition, herbal medicine. And from there, I, oh, in, and into the mix, I was a massage therapist, had a bike accident, some sort of the bike, broke both my arms, so that put paid to that career. Wow. I got, yeah, I mean, that was that was really harsh, actually. Um, and I, 
and this is a lesson to anyone who cycles do not put your bags on the handlebars because I was going to look after a goddaughter I had my bags on my handlebars I turned the corner and I acted as a break and I somersaulted over and actually not one person nobody actually stopped and said are you okay so with two broken arms I locked up the bike to the railing I was in shock went back and luckily my flatmate who I was living with at the time said you know you look in a bad way and actually yes I broke my left arm my right wrist um so uh but then you know I went to live in Kenya at one stage and slipped on a mat and my foot snapped and I broke my right foot and had to have a screw put in it and a bone graft and this that and the other anyway so I've experienced quite a lot in my life. So I qualified as an aromatherapist down the line. I was My last proper job as such was a practice manager of a doctor's practice. And my poor patient father said to me, great, you finally got a job, good salary, sorted. And of course, that wasn't who I was. And so um, I ended up... Um, applying to go on MasterChef. I'd split up with this guy and I wanted a bit of a challenge. And... Um, I got picked to go on the show. Uh, I was so out of my depth, but it was incredible. And they asked me to go back on the show the next year. And so I went part-time my job and um, I went on various courses and went back on the show. And that sort of opened my door to the whole food element. And then I wrote to William Sitwell, who was a food editor, and said I'd like to come and chat to him about getting into food journalism and I took some chocolates that I'd made using uh, chocolate mint from my mother's garden. This was 2006 or something. And he said, these are amazing. And the thing is, Michael, all I wanted was someone to believe in me, okay? And William was saying totally off the cuff stuff. But to me, it's like, oh my goodness. So he said to me, you're the next Juliet Binoche. And A, I was thinking, wow, Johnny Dieppe's going to walk into my life. At that time, he was quite sexy, okay? I know he's gone <laughs> off now. But the other thing was, I just thought, oh, could I, I could have a chocolate shop and it's all going to be lovely and romantic and pretty. And But it just gave me that confidence. And then I had this vision of a rose petal with chocolate at the bottom and gold leaf flicked on it. And it took me three months because I'm not trained in in that sort of thing to work out how to do it. And actually, it goes against the convention of chocolate because the um, moisture of the petal would make the chocolate bloom. However much you tempered it, it it wouldn't hold its temper. So it was a big experiment. I nailed it. Um, and I took a day off work from, from the doctor's practice where I was the practice manager. And... Um, I dropped them off at National Press and they're all over the place. And they were on the Paul O'Grady show. They're on Vanessa Feltz's radio show. They were in every magazine. I had um, royal families from um, uh, the Middle East sending over private jets to pick them up. And it was an incredible experience. But as I was to find out, it wasn't a product that was scalable. It wasn't a product, I mean, it could market itself, but how are you going to get packaging to do little crystallized rose petals and crystallized violas and pansies? You can't. But I do know, I mean, I was amazed what I had inside me, but I was a total originator and I can safely say in the world because I won a competition to go to um, Ferran Adrier's clinic. You know, the guy who um, had the, the restaurant El Bulli so I won a competition to visit his it's like a sort of lab I suppose and I told him what I was doing and he was amazed he said I have never ever ever come across that concept um so 
Yeah, and and basically, I had set up a kitchen in Borough Market, and and I got all the supersonic sexy kit, brand new, thinking this is it. My parents and my brother were amazing and put cash in. And of course, what I was to find out was you don't need the supersonic kit. What you need is a product that can make you money that can then help you grow a business. And I, at one stage, I had a really tough time. I had bailiffs at my door. And um, I was based, a bank had said they'd lend me money on this business loan that I was putting through. And it was when the crash happened in 2007. Mm. And they just said, we're not going to lend you the money. But they had already said to me, put put everything on your Bar- Bar- Barclay card. You know, you'll clear it when the loan comes through. So I had put all the business stuff through on the Barclay card. The loan wasn't allowed. And I was left with all this debt on my Barclay card. It was a really black patch in my life I felt very alone I felt very very depressed I couldn't ever see my life turning around but I knew that something inside me was going to make it work and a key turning point is is someone who was an influence I think we talk about later um, a guy called Pat Reeves uh, co-founder with Rowan Blacker of sofa.com and he was the one who said right chocolate bar you know and, and that's and the chocolate bar he put in a commission for sofa.com uh in 2009 and he gave me six weeks notice and he said right I want a chocolate bar to go out with each sofa there's going to be a thousand you need to go away and design it and create it and whatever else and so I had six weeks notice to find someone at the busiest time of year to make the bar to help find get the packaging sorted and I did and I hand foiled hand wrapped every single bar hand signed them actually at this stage with uh, Pat's dog by my side, not very good for health and safety. And uh, food hygiene would have been after me. And I delivered them. And Pat being Pat, who was the most incredible man, uh, he said, I'm not paying you in profit. I'm paying you with another thousand bars. You go and sell those bars, make your profit and grow the business. So, and and then I introduced the milk bar and then I was very lucky. My first stockist was um, Selfridges, you inventors spotted it. And he said, we want them in Selfridges. And they were everywhere, Liberties, Whole Foods. It was a really exciting time. So that is a, that's really what took me to the chocolate business. And what happened then? Because then at some point, as you said, you got from where you had this minimal viable product that was, it was a great product, but it was not very scalable to suddenly because you got this challenge thrown by Pat, you had suddenly a scalable product and you went into all these great places. And so what else happened then on that journey? When did it just go then from a supermarket to supermarket to a shopping center to countries or where where what did where did you hit? Because there's also different there's different plateaus in in any business, and you hit a new challenge, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, actually, part of my downfalls in life was always saying no to everybody because I had to psh, sort of prove myself. And and just before Pat put that commission in, but before that, he'd said, "I'm going to invest in your business." You know, we did a little business plan and envelope. He said, "All we need is a machine. We'll get some people to make it." Blah, blah, blah. And I said no to him. So, but when he put in an, a commission, I never say no to an order. So with my business, I got some really amazing commissions that totally stretched me. Like one was to a Middle Eastern uh, group who wanted something like 36,000 bars made. Wow. And, yeah. And the person I was with was really, anyway, they, they were one of my manufacturers. I moved swiftly on. They weren't particularly good. But the point is, we did it. 
I just said, I don't care if I drive up and fall every bar. I am not saying no to this order. But um, it was so from that, it was great. You know, the early stages, I'm not a businesswoman. The only training I have is as a PA and an aromatherapist. That is it. So um, I was learning to be a businesswoman. But at that time, Pat was was um, around. He sadly got diagnosed with um cancer the day I launched in Selfridges and um and died three and a half years later but he was very much help he helped me in the early stages as a sort of mentor he was an amazing mate who I miss badly especially when I need some advice but anyway so um I went to Liberties and yeah Whole Foods and everything did the tastings I thought wow this is so easy you know this is my life sorted. What I didn't factor in is some whippersnapper copying my packaging, blatantly copying it down to the shade of the foil, the length of the craft paper, the size of the bar. I also didn't factor in that you're always going to get everybody else starting up in the industry. And, and the other thing is that rule, you know, regulations change, shop buyers move. When a shop buyer moves, you might be dumped because the new buyer wants to bring in their pets. So it was it was exciting. I mean, I went to Japan and I supplied Takishimaya, which is the biggest compliment of my life with not one rejection. I had a really good um, manufacturer at that stage. I did all my own recipes and everything, but they actually produced for me. Uh, and it's something I missed because I could never, I wanted my own kitchen back. And when I was talking to investors, I said, this is what I really want with a little glass frame around it for people to see. And they always said, no, no, no it's not important. Um, but then you know what? You need a lot of money to grow a business. You need a team. Team. And that, again, is is a big thing. And I went around talking to investors. I'm not a sort of poor me as a woman raising finance, but I have to say at that stage in the game, there was a lot of skullduggery going on. You know, people would be investing in me for me. I mean, that made me laugh. But the point is that they, some of their motives were extremely unhealthy or they wanted to control a woman in business. I mean, the whole thing was just slightly pear-shaped. Um, anyway... I and they didn't feel right, so I didn't take it on. So the business sort of is sort of plateaued out. I mean, I got phenomenal approaches. I was approached by um, James Martin's Saturday Kitchen to go on that, but but the point was I had to say no because I didn't have my own production unit. So I got all the approaches and stuff, but ultimately it ran its course. I believe, I still believe that brand could have been massive, and it, I what I would have done was taken it up which it was on the upper rung and then flood it into the supermarkets it was a female fronted personality brand that delivered on quality and packaging it just needed a bolt-on to another bigger chocolate house to reduce all the costs it's it, interesting in this time where uh, there's probably some people uh, that's going to start up their own businesses that's what happens because there's going to be some kind of recession happen people losing jobs and some people are already lost especially you see it already in food and stuff like that. And I think the, the, the great thing I hear you said is that you had a really good product. You had it in the right places. Um, it seemed like you had some promotion going on. It, it, people reached out to you, which are the three most important things in, in the early stage, especially around the food product. Uh, but then there's, again, there's a speed you need to move in, as you say, and then also that uh, that you actually need to protect yourself and actually have the capacity yourself as well as the things that you have to control as an entrepreneur and uh, and you often forget that in, in in the rush of things because it's going so fast and then suddenly there's somebody covering you uh, and uh, everything you're doing uh, the, 
uh, around your product and therefore you you go into a challenging period because you need to to find out how you deal with that and i've seen it myself as well in things i've been doing so yeah really really i thought that was some really key things for people out there to think about as well as they go forward it's the sort of ex- acceleration it's the um it's i was nimble because i was small but i think if you've got a really good idea people are going to be on the bandwagon very quickly and that's what i was I was shocked by because I was naive as a businesswoman. But, you know, someone like Thornton's copied my recipe combo, lemon and sea salt. And, you know, as I said, the guy copied my packaging. And and the thing is that you've just got to keep moving on ahead. And I probably spent too much time trying to fight those sort of battles. I mean, obviously, I didn't fight Thornton's. But, um, you know, it yeah, it's something that you've, you've got to accelerate. And even though I had big TV, I had... Um, which some of them I could do. I was on the radio. I had the media just in my hands. I mean, the PR I got was phenomenal. And I had the product and I had the, the sort of brand, but I still didn't take it to where it should have been. It is really, really difficult. Is there something you wished you have known before you started that journey? Because you tried a lot of things prior to that and then suddenly you hit that thing. That works, and we are, and sometimes that happens in life as well. Is that job or that thing, and suddenly you hit that gold streak, as they say. You just you're just in that flow of things. Is there anything you wished you have known or been more aware of before you hit that? Well, yeah, I mean, no, in ways, in the way that it's made me who I am. But yes, Michael, I mean, so much so in the way that I took in the early stages financially, I took big risks in the way that I had. I still don't have any buffer. I'm still winging it greatly. Um, I, ha- I mean, also, I, I should have moved the business quicker. I should have. I was talking investment to these two people. Sadly, it didn't come off. If it had, it would have been really ripe. To understand the business cycles, where when you set up, everybody wants you. The journalists want to write about something new. People are inquisitive. They want to try it. But ultimately, other people will take that slipstream from you. And I think you know that the big thing that I had no idea about being an entrepreneur is it is one of the most difficult paths you can pick in your life. It's like a garden maze. And whether you actually get to that center of the garden maze with the first business, with the second business, with the third business, who knows? Yeah, it's uh, it, 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 it interesting because actually uh, somebody else uh, I talked with said to me once, and it really resonated with me, entrepreneurship is not, uh, it's, it's not a journey about you know, a product or a vision is about the person you want to become. And as therefore you go on that journey and you keep on pushing yourself to become that person. And and, and it's, it's like a personal journey. And, and of course, there has to be pain on that journey or else you're not stepping up on the next level. And I thought that was very well said because, yeah, that's something I can see myself. Uh, and I can hear that as well in your journey that, that when the pain has been there, you had had the been forced to change and become more agile. But that's really interesting, Michael. That makes me think because is it if we don't succeed, is it because we're not, we don't have that strong enough belief in ourselves that we can do it? Is it because we're wavering? Yeah, it's interesting because I think that, you know, the uh, entrepreneurs in general, when we look at them, you don't think they, 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 they believe so much in themselves. But I think one of the biggest challenges we have as entrepreneurs sometimes is that, 
Deb, are, are we good enough? I think we ask ourselves that question a lot of the time. Every day. <laughs> and it's the, it is. It's that doubt. And sometimes I've found in COVID, doubt can really drown one's mind unless you're really strong. It, it, you know, you can question yourself the whole time. I totally agree. And also because, again, we talked about this thing, you know, as entrepreneurs, we like to move, but also it's it's a question about feeling that we can control the situation and move it to a certain point, but suddenly you can't move anything and everything has stopped or things doesn't go as people say or people get off the radar because of the situation. Yeah, I, the COVID hasn't definitely not helped being a, an entrepreneur, but again, it's going to create a, a, a brilliant platform on the other side. I'm a big believer in that. But just wanted to come back to something uh, as well. Uh, you didn't talk so much about your podcast because that was, I said in the beginning, that was where I met you the first time um, and started listening into your conversation. So after the chocolate venture, we go into the pandemic and then you launch a podcast uh, and you have some great guests on there. I already mentioned Julian, Julian Metcalf has been one of your guests and you, you mentioned the CEO from uh, uh, from uh, the chocolate uh, hotel as well. Um, can you can you uh, can you tell a bit about why did you start a podcast? Of all the things you could do, coming from chocolate, it's like a, a whole new world, a new venture again. It is. I mean, what I'm doing, doing another startup. God only knows, but it is in my DNA. So. Um, I knew that I needed to extract myself out of the chocolate business. One of the reasons was that an investment was sort of running dry and um, I had found that my health was seriously compromised. I, at one stage in the last sort of year, I mean, it's it's in the, in the last sort of year of it, um, producing, I um, got this thing called Swerdron syndrome, which you I couldn't mobilize my joints. So it took me 20 minutes to get out of bed. I couldn't kneel. Um, my, my ankles were huge. I had red sort of wheels up my shins. And um, it's to do with you have sarcoidosis, so you have pains in your lung. And anyway, it was massive. And it was like, okay, I need to take a serious reality check here. I've been thinking about it for a long time, really since Pat died. And um, it was time to accept that this venture was not going to go in the direction and make it as big as I'd always dreamed. So um, I have a, a great um, uh, a guy who uh, he's a he's a friend um, and I value his opinions. And I would meet up with him just saying, I know that I need to come out of chocolate. How you know, where do you think my strong points are? He's he's an investor and he's he's a, just a very savvy business guy. And uh, so we used to just catch up over coffee, really. And um, then he said to me, I knew him in my chocolate days, and he said, I will invest in you, but I'm not going to be investing in chocolate. So I, I sort of said, okay, well, what, what can we do? And so I've always wanted to, I've get into the media um i used to, as a child quite fancy myself as a breakfast tv presenter i mean lord knows why but anyway and um i i have an itch to do a documentary uh which has been an itch for some time but anyway we were talking about that we were talking about podcasts and we we're talking about chat and how i love to chat and i love to hear people's stories and i love to know what makes people tick and i love to know there's a lot of love there, but you know, I love to know about founders. There's something that fascinates me about our mindset, and I'm always attracted to founders, even in my relationships. You know, guys are usually running their own gig, and um, 
so we got chatting and all of a sudden hope and patience I'd had in my mind for a long time but I actually thought I'd have an engagement ring company because it was a slight sort of cynical view people hope to get married but they've got to have patience but anyway so hope and patience was always on my mind as the name and and we just we went for the podcast and that's really it was just through a conversation it's a bit like my chocolate business I sort of fell into it I mean I didn't elaborate on that because otherwise I would have been here all day and your poor listeners would be tuning in for hours but um I fell into it and it just ha- it's ha- got an energy of itself and in the early days so my first guest was great Rowan Blacker Pookie Lighting uh Pat's business partner from sofa.com amazing guy and and he Perry is is their clients of Perry's Perry that's how I know Perry and Anyway, Rome was great. He said, I'll be your first guest. And I, I had no command of the conversation to I just sat there thinking, I don't know when to ask what to do. Blah, blah, blah. And um, anyway, then I started finding my feet. I really, really love it. And it's something that I want to grow. I want to extend the brand I do. So the friend who I met for coffees is an investor in the business. And uh, we want we want to build it into a business that is a financially successful business in the way that I want to give back. I mentor for ex-offenders. Um, I'm a bit volunteer business mentor for the Find Selwa Open the Gate program. There are a lot of people who I would like to help and um, support. So I've, that's why I'd like to, to make some cash. Plus, I'd like a pension and a place to live. But um, well, I have a place to live, but by my own place. Uh, so the, and basically, the guests are people who um, there's a mix. There's a mix of um, industries that they come from mix of ages i want it to be a platform where founders can share their stories i want it to encourage and stimulate and support people running their own businesses or thinking of starting up their own business or people who are just curious a lot of my mates are curious about what it's like to run a business and we eat chocolate in the show because we have to eat chocolate in the show and and so yeah that that's hope and patience and we've just launched we're launching series three and that's going to be a weekly episode michael so loads more chat and loads more work (laughs) yeah can you uh can you uh tell the audience what they can expect in the the coming episodes or that's a secret no no not a secret um so series three is going to be a mix it's people from um pet food uh an astrologer um a an editor of an amazing magazine that's the world's leading textile magazine um i've got a bit of food sprinkled in there too um, I've got, uh, oh, very interesting. The first guy who wrote the Wikip- well, the, the, the guy who wrote the first entry in Wikipedia for the definition of social media. Fascinating oh. guy. Wow. Um, he's, he's, yeah, you might want him on this show, but I'm having first dibs. He's a tech, he's a tech PR and my goodness, he's really clever. Um, and a little insider is a little sort of tidbit is that he was the first, um, He's the first person who has recruited an executive, especially to handle Clubhouse for his clients. So he's, wow. he, yeah, he's very exciting. And there's some other, oh, there's a um, the founder of um, Original Ballet Black, which is um, a most incredible ballet company supporting dancers in, from the BAME um, arena. Um, yeah, the pet food is tails.com. So exciting names. Um, I have I always sort of get the first sort of eight and then I allow it to be a bit fluid because I like exploring people. But um, yeah, so that's that's who's coming our way. 
So some from uh, if we go back to the, the entrepreneurial bit, um, how was it again to come from uh, a, a scale-up business going into what I call a startup? You're starting from scratch, everything again, um, and uh, you have to have that energy uh, to do it again. Uh, what, what what was it hard or was it a, this is just what I'm going to do? It's very <laughs> obvious to me now the past is past and we move on. It's really flipping frustrating because of my chocolate business. It just took off, okay? Everybody wanted it. All I had to do was give you a chocolate bar and it would be all over the place. And, of course, that's not how it happens nowadays, A, because we have social media, and B, because, you know, the world of podcasts is massive, but it, it, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't, it works a very different way. And also with the chocolate business, I had a physical product. And with the podcast, it's not a physical product. So that's selling two very different things. Now, I have actually made a chocolate bar for the podcast because I love giving stuff to people. I just, anyway, I like receiving, I like giving. Um, so it's, it is frustrating because it is back to the, to the sort of starting blocks again. Um, and it's an industry that I am learning, but I love learning. I'm growing so much as an individual. Um, meeting incredible people. I mean, I did in my chocolate world. Wow, I went to places and, and met people I never, ever thought I would do. And this is the, exactly the same. You know, to get to talk to Julian Metcalf, whether you, whether you know, he's a Marmite factor, so you might get him or not. His gems are gold dust. He rarely gives interviews. And, you know, to be there chatting to him on a podcast, I had to pinch myself thinking, Julia Metcalf. And, you know, Angus, I know from the chocolate days, Angus Thole, but Tim Mead of, of, of Yo Organic, you know, big people. And and just with incredible values, especially Yo Organic. I mean, that's mind-blowing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a business plan. Um, I have to... to you know, work out a marketing strategy on a in an area that's new. Um, it's meeting new people. It's bringing new people into the team around me. But that I find exciting because what I have learned from my chocolate days is to really do due diligence, never assume, never presume. And if something's not right, if someone's not right in the mix, move out, move on. Don't hang around trying to make it work. I mean, that's the whole thing with not employing people directly is there is more nimbleness with that. But I've just, it seemed, I'm seem really lucky. I mean, like Michael meeting you, which was through LinkedIn, what a treat. Having that lovely chat a couple of weeks ago, heaven, you know, it gave me fuel for my tank. So, but it is, it's hard work. And I, you know, hard work. I don't know if it's, it's just something I want to nail. I want to crack it because I do want to, success is not not necessarily the finance side, but I really do need to get some coffers in my bank. I want to give, you know, my investor is an amazing guy because he's giving me a chance and I want him to get his return plus more back. But I also want to have this extra pot of cash that we can help people, as I was saying, give back to society. I mean, we need money in society now, if like never before. Yeah, and that's quite interesting again because uh, you're doing it again. To it's it's funny. Your first uh, answer to it is it's to becoming the person I want to become, and you know, and I indirectly that when you become that person, that money will flow, and then you can give take care of yourself and give to others. And I think that that's a that's a quite really important thing there. And uh, and again, you throw yourself out as soon as to here again. It's like you need a challenge that is so big. <laughs> 
that you can't swim when you jump in, but it's okay. We'll just drown a bit because, again, I will figure it out. And I think that's incredible strength to have that and done that so, so many times. So, so just a little observation. Uh, you already talked about a couple of failure, but if you want to say, like, is there, is there one that was like the, the biggest of them all where you said that was like, it was like burn marked into your mind? I will never ever do. You mentioned due diligence just now, but I don't know if that's it. Sometimes there could be other things. Uh, due diligence is definitely one of them. I mean, with failure, I hate that word. I do ask people on my podcast to share their thoughts on the word success and failure, and it's fascinating what they come back with. And I'm learning a lot from what they're what they're saying. But um, I, failure takes me back to school where you fail or pass, and most of the times I failed, and it made me so humiliated. But um, I think you know it is. It's a big learning, isn't it? It's a. It's um, for someone. I I give myself a hard time. I have a uh, quite uh, high expectations of myself and so therefore failure is like the worst but I mean I, I suppose I go in my personal life it was selling a property and not not buying another property because that is what is my driver one of my drivers for just pushing on and winging it and having sleepless nights with this podcast is I have to do it you know I'm 50 now this is all in this is like the biggest gamble I have ever done I'm putting all my chips in on this gig and I just hope that it comes off. But um, really, yeah, with, with my chocolate business, it was a bombardment of lessons. It was like an assault course because I remember I don't have, I'm not a businesswoman. I'm not trained in business. I'm not, tra I wasn't trained in chocolate. Um, and I d didn't go to university and get a degree that would have been really helpful. And also my, my parents are not entrepreneurs. Okay. So that they, although my great, great grandparents were phenomenally successful, it, it's not in my close um, arena. And I think the thing is that um, I trusted people too easily. And, you know, if they said they were going to do something, I believed them. If they, if they made out their motive to get involved with the business was a healthy one, I believed that. And, what, and I went with it. And there was that little, you know, that little niggle. It's the smallest, smallest little niggle inside you, which is your gut. And it is so small that it is so easy to overlook. And basically, there were times where just, oh, you know, I'm trusting them, but I feel slightly uneasy. And I didn't listen to that. And the repercussions were vast. In every arena, it could be to do with manufacturers, which backfired, investments, which backfired, suppliers, which backfired. And so now I am really wary. I take my time. I will not be rushed into making decisions. I have to just move at a slower pace when it comes to these bigger things. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot. I think I was naive. And, um, you know, I've learned everything. I've learned on my on my way. But um, that that really was, was a, a big learning is just trusting people uh, and their motives. Yeah, you have. It is a bit like uh, when you trust and put in people, because in general, I always believe the best in people till they prove something else. Um, or yeah, I think they have been driven by something else they're maybe not aware of. I'm, I'm always very uh, believe in people, but you need to do that in business. You need to check your your corners, and uh, it is a very good lesson to share with. You and double check, triple check. I yeah, mean, triple check <laughs> everything. Yeah. Yeah, uh, ask ask more than one person what they what their experience has been. I always say it's a bit. It's more important than uh, it's like recruiting employees. You wouldn't just hire them if uh, if you've seen the CV. You really need to do your due diligence. To, as I say, the right people on the bus in the right seats are worth more than the strategy. That's such create. a good analogy. Yes, you mentioned Pat before. 
coming back to people that had had a massive influence to you and support uh, any others that's through your life that has like been there and helped you and you could really get influence or maybe a book you read or yeah so I mean funnily enough an early influence in my life was um, one of my godmothers a lady called Dione uh, a very very special woman and she she really was my rock. She was my, she listened to me. She helped me sort out life. She was a very wise woman. And one of the things I learned from her, which was because I, because I didn't do something right, was that she made, so she's, what her lesson to me was do it right in the first place and you won't have to go back and do it again. And when I, um, when I don't do things properly, I always think of Dione. But one example was that she asked me to paint her garden fence, okay? And I got to it, got the paint out, music on, sun was shining, you know, shimming around. And she made me redo it because she said, this is not good enough. And so that, that, she was, that, that was a big lesson. And she, she, just, she just was a very big influence in me. And in fact, all her family are like a family to me. Um, so she was in the early days and then a key player when I was practice manager of this doctor's practice was a life coach that I saw called Mary Graham and it was in the days where people weren't coaches okay people would think oh it's a bit odd you know who could say they're coaching in life very astute woman and um, she helped me work on my self-belief and it was through that self-belief that I went on MasterChef but beyond MasterChef I actually went on um to write to William Sitwell and she gave to to say you know can you help me food journalism blah 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 but she said to me right you she did the elevator pitch and she said okay if you had one minute to get in the lift with someone and make sure you had a meeting with them when they got out who would it be and it was William Sitwell and I'm the power of that visualization the power of that focus was huge she was incredible and I don't believe that I would have taken the path and taken the risk and gone against the grain and set up my own business without having had those sessions with Mary Graham really amazing woman I don't know if she's still doing them but she's she was incredible amazing amazing yeah and uh and it's funny that uh, some people that fuel your confidence at different stages in life and we all have this confidence barometer i think that goes up and down especially in in entrepreneurship where you know there sometimes are very few victories and then you have to keep yourself going and there's some people that just keep on fueling you on that journey that, 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 that's a great story about that uh how do you then as you mentioned a bit like the pandemic uh, and you know it's tough to really be in control be in the right mindset the right energy but how what do you do to to show up pro people do different things people go from meditating running to whatever they do uh i it's in my dna as a family we are doers we weren't allowed really to have lions my parents are great people so that is but it's just the way that we were brought up and ultimately it, going back in my dna it's just it's just who we are um also i'm self-supporting so somehow i've got to get money through my door to pay my rent and my bills and the other thing is that I want to make a difference. I want. I don't um, have children, and now I'm fifty. Uh, you know, I'll be maybe I'll be with someone who's got their own kids. But I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave something behind 
that continues to make a difference. And that is one thing that gets me out of bed. There are days where I do not want to get out of bed. There are days at night where I go to bed and I don't sleep properly at all. I, you know, I will cry. I will be nervous. I will come out. Uh, since lockdown, I seem to have developed psoriasis, which is a great treat and eczema, um, as well as my hair going even grayer. Um, but you know, so, but there is something where you just think I'm going to do it. And when the alarm clock goes off, or when you wake up in the morning, you find yourself plugged into it. I support myself by walking. I love walking. I I now my great homework is to walk and listen to podcasts and to learn. And um, I learn from people like you, Michael, I've had an interview and I learn about wonderful guests too. That's how sometimes I find my guests. Um, and I do some Pilates um, and I try and eat well. Um, but it's tough. You know, there are times where you have to really dig deep. And and with this third lockdown, living on your own, working on your own, it sounds like I should have the violin out. It's great in a way because it's very peaceful. But, you know, ultimately, I don't have anyone to pet me up. And so it's that thing where you just think, I'm going to have to dig deep. And I feel really grateful for the tough times in my chocolate business because they are what I'm drawing on now. If I can, if I could go through what I went through then, I can do this. And also, I mean, you know, like you guys with homeschooling and people with, you know, sick relations stuff, it's, it's massive. But you've just got to keep yourself out there. And I think any any entrepreneur, anyone, would just get themselves out of bed. I mean, you know, it's just who we are. It's, it's so interesting because everybody I talk with have uh, said a similar thing that they said that it's uh, keep on, or somebody said it very well, keep on uh, thinking, doing, and moving. Uh, and he meant moving was the physical health. So get out every day. Yeah, you've got to get out, got to get out. Doing was everything from, uh, I actually, I, what I found out myself to, to, to manage this period as well, I'm starting to write more. There's not come much out of it, but like having 40, half an hour, 45 minutes every day where I just write and it could be, and there's actually starting coming things out of it. Funny enough, the first three months was just like random stuff. Um, uh, and then, you know, that, that thing about, uh, you know, you need, you need, you need, uh, you need actually in a way just to, to, to keep on talking with people in your surroundings, then on your phone and, uh, and be in contact with family and so on to, to keep yourself, uh, fit. I'm lucky. I have a, a lovely family I live with as well. So there's people to talk with in the house. Yeah, because that's weird. Cause I don't have anyone to talk to. You actually run out of zoom. I think they say zoom fatigue, but one thing I have done in this third lockdown is I've started a wine course and I mm. thought, I, I thought I'll just do this. It'll be fun. It is so tough every night. I'm now up sort of midnight revising different types of wine, how it's made, you know, all this sort of thing. And, um, um, but it, but one reason I wanted to do it was that um, it's got an exam. So I've got a goal and I've got something to go, you know, to try and achieve. Uh, and actually, it's it's taken my mind off COVID because I'm either working full on to do the podcast or I'm revising. And so it's been a wonderful sort of tool. And you go to bed and you're actually pretty tired by the end of it. Your brain is sort of needing the rest. It's super, super interesting. Uh a question I ask some of my guests and from our first conversation, I thought it was a really relevant question because um, I love books. Um, but if you were giving away a book, which book would that be and why? Yeah, and it's a really, really good question. And I immediately in my mind was, oh, God, only one book. 
But the one book that really resonates with me is by a woman I would love to meet. I would love to have her on my show is Arianna Huffington and her book from the Huffington Post and her book is Thrive. And it's a book for everybody. And when I was challenged with my chocolate business, I started dipping into it and I started doing the gratitude um, journal that now a lot of people do, but back then not many people did. And it was really good. And it took me back to the small things like hearing a bird sing, seeing a rose, looking at the blue sky, you know, and it made you reset your clock instead of setting it in a way off way. But she was incredible. She nearly died, that woman. And I had no idea until I read the story. She collapsed at her desk from exhaustion. Two years, I think it was two years after setting up the Huffington Post. She is phenomenal. Her book rocks. And I would recommend everybody to read it because everybody will get something out of it. It's got quotes from people. Each chapter is sectioned off. So you've got giving, well-being, different bits. That woman has really lived her life and what she shares are gems. Great. That's a great book. I agree with that. I actually have been uh, looking into that. My wife has the book, so I was actually reading it uh, over Christmas, actually, because, uh, yeah, I thought it was a bit... When we hit Christmas, I definitely were struggling a bit with my thriving as well. I had to find a new way. And actually, I've actually been writing about that. Maybe there's something coming out of that. But the writing, I think, sounds so exciting because I've, I read somewhere or heard something about how you said, you know, you start off the first three months, it's disastrous, and then you kick into it and it's really good. I mean, that is going to take you places, I think, Michael. Yeah, let, let's see. Let's see that uh, it's actually funny. Uh, and it's not so much about me, the show, but actually when I was a kid, one of uh, the teachers asked me what I wanted to be and I wanted to write books, I said. No I can't remember that. And now it's happening. You know, it's not happening yet, but I'm writing now and it's wow. not something I really, really ever have practiced. It's always something because I'm not patient. I like to do the 80% and then hand it over to somebody else and then move on. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's really interesting sometimes when life comes back in the loop, uh, as you referred to here in the conversation as well. Uh, on the show, uh, Amelia, I always ask the guests uh, what advice they would give to leaders out there now or other founders, entrepreneurs, because it's a weird time we're in and we all collect different experiences and see the world in different ways. But if you should give like three solid advice to, to people out there, what would that be? I think one of the things is trust the flow. Even if it's not going at the speed you want, it might be going too fast or too slowly. Just trust it because usually the flow is taking you on a path that you need to go on. The other thing is to remember to thank people in a really genuine way from your heart who help you on your journey because appreciation is the most valuable commodity. And what I found was that I always have thanked people, but from sometimes I give quite a lot away and I'm quite happy to give it away. But all it takes is for someone to say, thank you so much. That made such a difference. I really appreciate it. And it just it's just a, a really fantastic thing to do and I think sometimes can be forgotten with pressures and, and stuff like that but it's key and the third thing is to sort of really um, cultivate who you are and um, you know raise that awareness of who you are get get people to be aware of you and and just chat to everybody um, and I think that can sometimes really help you accelerate where you are if you want to accelerate. It's that building the profile, that sort of media around you. 
great very tree uh, good advice uh, i like the one the trust uh, trust the uh, the flow of things and uh, yeah i really love that because uh, i think we need to do that more than ever because we we don't really know where where we're heading right now um so if people want to check out more there's the the hope and patient podcast we already mentioned that earlier in the conversation but anywhere else they can go and find you yeah, you can hop onto the website, hopeandpatience.co.uk. I'm at Clubhouse and my um, username is at Amelia Pod. Um, and Instagram is Amelia underscore Rope. And that's the same for Twitter as well. So I think they're the places that you can find me. And the podcast is, yeah, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, Google. <laughs> Wherever you listen to your podcast, as I say, it will be there good uh, Amelia thank you so much for, for spending a bit of time uh, with us here and share your your really great you know learnings uh, and insights on, on your entrepreneurial journey I'm sure that people out there that has some bit of reflection needs to go on and uh, I hope that Amelia have actually given you a bit of hope as well when it it can look very difficult but there's always a way out well thank you so much for having me on the show and uh, I've just I've really enjoyed it Thank you so much, Emilia, for sharing your story and insight from this incredible entrepreneurial journey. I'm sure there's people out there that has picked up some great reflection and insight on how they can adapt some of that for their journey. But if you want more insights on how to become a better entrepreneur, also tune in to episode 50, Time for System Change with Zoe Henderson, who is the founder of Function. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A massive thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor for the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our community and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thanks for listening and be maverick. Be maverick.